Hey, YouTube theologians, a Bible translation question. Bernie writes, I love your YouTube videos. Thank you. Which translation of the Bible do you use and why? After research and study, I've come to the conclusion that the received text is the preserved word of God. I'll explain what that means in a minute. I know the history of the critical text. I find it questionable at best. There's no providence to it. It just mysteriously shows up in the form of Vaticanus and Cyanaticus. That sounds like diseases. <laughs> Whereas, that, that's my addition, by the way. Sounds like diseases. Whereas the TR, the Texas Receptus, has, preser has a preserved history. Besides, that's what Luther translated from. Thank you. I value your opinion. Benny. Thanks, Benny. Great question. Let's take it on the road. So a little background so that this question makes sense. The, the, first of all, we remember that the scriptures, the Bible, is not just one book. It's a collection of 66 different writings from Moses, 1446 BC, all the way to probably the last thing written, the Revelation given to St. John on the island of Patmos, 90 AD or so. Yeah, it's a debate about one. So you have these 66 different documents and um, uh, written by the prophets and the apostles. And all of the originals are lost. So we cannot go to a museum somewhere or to a cave somewhere and find the original text that Moses wrote or the original scroll of Isaiah or the original codex of, of John's gospel. Uh, that means that what we're dealing with with the scriptures are copies and copies of copies of copies. Uh, the, as close as we can get, there's one fragment of John somewhere in Europe that they think might be a copy of the original. It's a little piece. And there's one uh, fragment of Mark recently found that also they think might be an even older copy of the original. That's an amazing thing to think about. How, how early on. I mean, the manuscript evidence for the scriptures are incredible. So, uh, so the scriptures are, they were early on collected. Probably the scrolls of the prophets were in the, in the, uh, the temple that became an authoritative status. Dr. Steinman has written a beautiful book about how the canon was that collection of scriptures that were in the temple in the Old Testament. The New Testament um, letters and gospels were, were written down, were sent out, were copied, were spread around. And what happened in that process of copying, especially in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, they were counting letters and spaces and everything. The scribes were so careful that they found, like they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and compared it to the oldest documents that they have. There's this great continuity. So this isn't really a, a big question when it comes to the transmission of the Old Testament, but when it comes to the transmission of the New Testament, you find so many different manuscripts in so many different places, and there's little differences here and there, what are called variants. And those variants are misspellings, word orders, um, might be different cognates for here or there. There's uh, no substantial theological debate that comes from the variants. Like there's no church that says, well, this variant gives us infant baptism and that variant doesn't or whatever. Uh, there are some significant variants though. The two biggest ones are the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight, which is not found in some manuscripts 
and is in Luke in some manuscripts and is there where it is in John in, in most manuscripts. And then the other big question is the long ending of Mark. If you look in your Bibles, if there, you have a new Bible, at Mark chapter 16, verse 9, the rest of it might be in brackets, or there might be a footnote saying some manuscripts aren't, aren't included. Okay. Well, so there's all these different copies of copies, and they're being uh, the church is trying to collect them. Every church in the early church wants to have as many of the scriptures as possible, so they're gathering these all up and 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 uh, and collecting them and handing them down on now, not as individual uh, books, but as this collection of books that is, that is the Bible. And early on in the Middle Ages, you pr you pretty well have a standard uh, text. They, they were looking at the different variants and. Even Erasmus, who was right before Luther, whose old, whose New Testament Luther used to translate, he had, he had that kind of the receipt, the the TR, the Textus Receptus. He he had that, but he was noting some of the, the here, you know, this text, this text, this text. But there was sort of a, a kind of well, that that's what the received text, the tradition of the church. This is the uh, this is the Bible that we're going to use when the translators of the King James Version, 1611, 1612, right in there, that, that they used that text, that sort of accepted manuscript. Well, what happened, oh, I don't know, 200 years ago or whenever, is that as the more and more manuscripts were being found, more and more older documents were being discovered, that the Bible scholars said, you know, what we should do is gather up all the different manuscripts and look at the differences and see if we can, through developing these kind of the family tree of these different manuscripts, and you can see, like for example, if an error creeps in here, there's an extra in and John or something, then all the documents that were copied from that preserve that error. So you can sort of trace the lineage of all these different manuscripts. And they had the idea that if you could do that, you could work backwards so that you could have this, um, this wide variety of all these different manuscripts and you could use them to try to get closer and closer to what the original was like. The original inspired versions. Now most, I think probably most of the people doing this study, well, I don't know if most, but a bunch of them didn't believe they were inspired in the first place, which is the problem. Uh, this is where Vaticanus and Sinaiticus get in there. There was two very old documents that were found and they were almost complete New Testaments. One was in the uh, Vatican Museum. I think it was slated to be thrown away. Another one was in a monastery on Mount Sinai. And those two documents, in a way, became the backbone for these critical editions. They were so old and so complete that the Bible scholars who were putting together this criti these critical editions used them as sort of their their base or their starting point and then they would they would work off of that and that resulted in what's called the critical text this has been adjusted and and it's it's always kind of moving around and the the one that's used in seminary is called the Nestle Allen uh, Westcott and Hort was doing it before I think Wesley Allen they go through all these editions as they are looking at all the manuscripts and I think they're on edition 28 or 29 and there was some big controversy a few years ago because they decided that they wouldn't actually publish new editions they would just have an online edition that they would tweak and adjust 
So I can't remember 28 or 29, but it'd be like 28.1, 28.2, 28.3. They just have these adjustments like software almost because as they were tweaking, that, that decision causes a big controversy. Most of the English editions, so sorry if we're in the weeds, hopefully you're still with me. Most of the English editions of the Bible today are built on that critical text. So the RSV, the ESV, the NIV, New International Version, and all the things that come from that. So you have the textual tradition of the received text from the Middle Ages, and that would be the King James, and in some ways the New King James. So the New King James assumes the, the received text tradition and then adds in critical notes from the other editions. Then on the other side, you have the critical text editions ESV and all the modern translations, which also will have footnotes, but you can see it, like for example, if you look in your New King James and you look at John 8, the woman caught in adultery, they'll, it'll be there and they'll have a footnote, some ancient manuscripts do not include the text. If you go to your ESV, I think that's what it would say, if you go to the ESV, it'll have it in brackets or something like that and it'll say, uh, most ancient manuscripts exclude this text. So it, you can see the, where the priority is given. It, are you giving priority to the received text or are you giving priority to the critical text? I like the received text, uh, but, uh, but I'm certainly not a King James only. I like for study and for personal reading to use the New King James, and I'm trying to use the King James even more. For, for no other reason, it doesn't have all the copyright problems that all the modern ones have, so you can use it however you want. Uh, but I don't think that the critical edition is a godless idea to the very root. But I, but I do think probably most of the people who are doing it did not have good motives. So you get critical scholars like, I mean, the most famous is Bart Ehrman, who comes along with this ridiculous argument, and he says that there's more errors in the Bible than there are words in the New Testament. That's crazy. I mean, it's just deceptive. And it's trying to undermine our confidence in the scriptures. Uh, it's trying to undermine our, our theological epistemology as if we can know nothing about God at all. So we just have to come back and say, well, what, what errors would would undermine the confession. It's a weird thing because they, these guys, these critical scholars say that, that the theology developed and so like the high Christology of John, the, the, the Gospel of John talks about how Jesus is God's son. Well, that obviously had to be written later because the primitive idea of the church was Jesus as a prophet and Jesus as the divine son of God came much, much later. So then you say, well, show me the text, show me the early variants of John where Jesus was just a man. Or show me anything. Show, you, you know, they, they say, oh, the, the Bible was being changed. We see that from the variants. And so this is what it used to be. But there's no evidence, no text, no variant, no fragment that would say what they call primitive Christianity. So the two, it's, it's completely, the arguments are completely divorced from one another. The points are completely separate from one another, but they just, they just say them right next to each other. Like the Bible has a lot of variants and the doctrine progresses as if, as if you can see evidence of that in the, in the different variants. It's just, it's just, it's deceptive really. 
and really dangerous. Now, I don't think the best way to fight it is to say, well, the King James was, is God's word. Um, but the point, the question that Benny makes, the point that he makes is that the critical text, putting this all together, completely lacks any doctrine of the the providence of God. How did the question say it? The provision of God. And I think that's an important point. That the Lord does preserve his word for his church. And so while the this experiment in text criticism is might be helpful, we don't have to worry about, is the Bible that we have the Word of God? The answer is, yeah, the Lord has preserved His Word to His church. And there's not a single doctrine that is even, that's changed or even clarified by all the work of the critical scholars. Now, one more word on Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, and because the text critics use these rules to determine what was the more reliable text, and they say, what's the older text? What's the most widely spread reading? What's the, what's the more difficult reading? And so forth and so on. So they use these rules to try to determine between the different variants. And that's one of the reasons they give such priority to the Vatican text and the Sinai text. But I think there's a critical flaw in their logic there and it's this, it's that the texts that are best are the texts that are used, and the texts that are used are the texts that are lost. <laughs> so if you were to go to my office right now, and, well, that's actually a great example, because the Bible that I love to use, my New King James pocket Bible, is so worn out that I can't use it anymore because when I open it up, the pages fall over, and then I can't find First Thessalonians because it's right there next to the Psalms. And so it's actually in the store getting rebound in Houston so that I could use it again. So if you were to go into my office and say, well, what's Pastor Wolfmuller's favorite Bible? It's not even there. <laughs> and you, if you found the nicest Bible that's there, the one that looks like it's never even been opened. It's like the fifth edition of the New Living Bible or whatever. And you say, oh, here's the, this is the, that's the one that's going to last the longest. That's going to stay in my shelf and never be thrown out because I'm never, I never even open the thing, right? So that these texts, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, were preserved for so long, it might indicate that they're the most authentic because they're the oldest, or it might indicate that they were not useful. And so they didn't use them, and so they didn't wear them out, and so it lasted. That the monks are like, we can't use these. It doesn't have the, the last page of Mark in it. <laughs> and so that's why it survived so long. So I think some of the critical questions that the critical scholars bring to the critical edition need to be criticized. Ah. <laughs> uh, <sighs> I hope that helps. And I hope that I, I, if this is, you know, nerdy stuff, uh, I hope it's helpful too because what happens a lot of times is, you know, we go off to college and we just learned that the Bible's true and then the college professor says, well, look at all these different manuscripts and all this different stuff and there's more mistakes in the Bible than there are words or, or and then and it gets us, it, it, it starts to undermine our, our confidence in the scripture and uh, the... I mean, the, 
all of this should do the opposite. So we just have to ask that question of, well, what variant of Scripture doesn't confess what the church confesses? There's no answer to that question because it's all all the same. You, you look at the text and they all bring to us the same doctrines, even in their very specific ways, the same doctrines, the same Jesus, the same forgiveness of sins, uh, the, the, the same uh, life of the Christian. It's all, it's all the same. There is, there's no varying doctrine from all the variant texts. God be praised for that. And we can have this confidence in the Bible that when we're reading it, we're reading God's Word. Oh, God be praised. And thank you for the question. And if you have questions, wolfmuller.co slash contact. We'll see what we can do. And we'll see when another video comes out. You should subscribe and put the bell on this because who knows when another video will happen. It could happen later today. It could happen in October. You never know. But anyway, if you like this video, uh, you'll like this video uh, next. And we'll see you soon. God's peace be with you.